week seven is behind us and on national tight end week every tight end got the memo let's take a look at the charts with this week's updated data on stat chase not looking great for the uh the taekwon thornton bags um so you know you, you could could do better um <laughs> but uh yeah uh the tight ends definitely went off this week for national tight end week uh was very thankful that uh mark andrews decided to do that for my dog bowl team and punch my ticket to miami I, uh, if I seem a little distracted, it's because a dog bowl draft popped that I forgot that I registered for. And, uh, so I'm, I'm in round four right now, trying to punch a second ticket this week. Don't think this draft is going to be the one gotta, gotta be honest, but, uh, yeah, overall good week for me. Drico, how'd you fare, uh, in week seven? Eh, it was fine. It was fine. Uh, nothing, not, nothing too dramatic. Um, I, uh, kept holding on to a 30% advance rate. Um, so I can't, can't complain, I guess. Yeah. I saw my but. advance rates across my portfolio dip a little bit. I had a lot of, uh, got a lot of injuries and guys on week seven by where I, I was pretty sure I was going to, going to see a downward trend for a little bit here until I get, uh, you know, a I had one back. team with 10 players on week seven by woo. Yeah, probably probably didn't put up a great score this week then. No, wasn't well, a great. Uh, I was like, why does this team only have sixty points? Uh, I, I had a couple teams I saw where I had legitimately zero running back points uh, between injuries and bye weeks. I just I couldn't field a single starting running back point, so that was a little bit tragic. But I uh, yeah, I felt that. Uh, I felt that for sure. And and and, and as a historical anomaly says. Big congratulations, and uh, that, that's a that's a pretty nice win. I'm sure yeah. you're you're really looking forward to going to uh, Miami now. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate all the the well wishes and congratulations. And uh, no, I didn't decide to uh, you know not shave and just let myself go because I'm I'm big time in you guys because I'm going to Miami. The the facial hair is for a Halloween costume. I've got to grow up my pathetic facial hair. So I promise next week you'll get a nice clean shaved sack. But this week you're gonna have to deal with a little bit of stubble on sack. So I'm sure I'm sure everybody will manage. So let's uh let's kick into these uh these charts. Um so quarterback passing efficiency and rushing production. Um there we go. And on this chart, so we've got adjusted yards per attempt, which is essentially it's a like normal yards for a tenth, but it, it rewards touchdowns and punishes uh, interceptions. And we have touchdown rate two, and then the size of the bubble represents uh, rushing yards per game. And so, Sack, uh, is there anybody else? Is there anybody? Sorry, anybody who stands out in particular to you this week? Uh, it's it's still kind of the usual suspects for me. I yeah. do. I mean, I, I've said this guy's name a lot, uh, and I, I played him in the dog bowl a good amount last week of Russell Wilson. I just think he's like consistently underrepresented as far as like where people are wanting to take him and how people value him um, for what he can do for fantasy. So that was the first one for me uh, that stood out to me. I like him against the Chiefs in a high game total. Uh, what about you, Draco? Anyone that you... So I, I, I'm just going to echo the, the Russell Wilson uh, a little bit in that I think 
he's much more of a, a DFS play, sort of like Dog Bowl, for example, where he's a pocket passer with right now normally low volume. The the offense uh, it is there's not a lot of dropbacks there, uh, which has meant that the the points haven't been great, and and, and a lot of that's because they played through the backs and and whatnot. But he has been very efficient, and so if you if you get a week where he does have a lot of dropbacks and and he's able to maintain that efficiency, then you could see some strong strong scores there, especially if you're getting Russell Wilson very cheap. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another guy, I don't think this is actually, this isn't like maybe you take him as like your last overall pick in the dog bowl, but like if you're streaming in a in a league where you need a, a streaming quarterback, Derek Carr has been kind of interesting to me. His volume has been absurd. He's like throwing the ball 50 times a game. Um, a lot of that is this little rinky-dink check down stuff to Alvin Kamara, so it's not terribly valuable for him but i mean shoot olave still got 15 targets this last week and they do play new orleans this or excuse me <laughs> they are new orleans they do play <laughs> indy this week and indy's secondary leaves a lot to be desired so i could uh i could certainly see the saints being an interesting spot i think Carr might be able to get you know give you 250 and two pretty comfortably so uh, very, very viable stand-in for a streamer if you need one there. I think with Carr, the, the thing that I noticed or, or that, that stands out to me is that when a lot of his passes are these checkdowns, then it's almost like the the amount of attempts and dropbacks are a, res, are a function of a result of just the checkdowns where they run so many plays because they're not getting huge down the field. Uh, attempt or plays but Derek Carr has has been like a solid quarterback at times in his career and I think I do think though for him to uh to really produce for you that you sort of do need better performances and and, and maybe there's like a lingering shoulder issue that he sort of like steps back steps up from but the, I, I guess my, my concern would, with Carr would be if he keeps playing like he has, that does seem fairly difficult to get any kind of like 20, 25 point game. Yeah, I, I think I think getting like a true ceiling game from Carr where he's competing with other top quarterbacks or, or at the very least not getting significantly gapped by the top scoring quarterbacks on the week you're really you're looking for him to just run super hot on touchdowns. Maybe Kamara takes a little dump off pass, you know, for a touchdown to the house or something, or Olave finally converts. You know, you get a Shahid, a Shahid big play or something like that. So I, I see the path for it. I don't think it's particularly likely, but I do really like this matchup as a spot for it. You're in a dome against a bad offense or excuse me a bad defense uh so i i don't think that uh i think you could do worse than than car this week uh other other guys that i noticed this week um i mean <laughs> is is it uh is it too easy if i go back to the well and lamar jackson like i feel like i'm just gonna go back to this guy every week the the rushing upside is still very real 
Um, I mean, I think he could have had an even bigger day. They kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit in the second half. He didn't he didn't have to throw very much at all in the second half. They were just absolutely they weren't pushed at all. No, yeah. And they play the Cardinals this week, so you might run into that same issue of they're not going to get pushed. But I think your floor with Lamar is just so high, and the ceiling is very clearly there. The other thing I like about Lamar is it's pretty easy to stack him up, right? Like, you know that, hey, if Lamar gets there with passing touchdowns, it's probably coming from Andrews or it's coming from Zay Flowers. Like, yes, you've got those ancillary guys uh, like – Beckham and we did see Bateman start to get a little bit more involved this last week but you're just seeing the vast majority of the the volume go through Flowers and Andrews where I do like to attack those condensed type of offenses um so not to not to use Lamar every week as my my good play but Lamar certainly is interesting this week as well uh, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. No, I don't think anybody, not very many people anyway, will ever uh, have a problem with betting on uh, Lamar Jackson in fantasy football, uh, and and obviously paid off for you in, in in a big way last week. The the last one I had on the chart, and if you have any, we can can go over those. But uh, C.J. Stroud, I really like this week. It's coming off the bye. He's already looked really good. I, I could see him you know, taking another little mini step off the bye, having a week to, you know, get even better prepared. Uh, they're playing just absolutely putrid Carolina defense. We saw, you know, Miami just absolutely score at will on them. You know, I, I could see, uh, and, and what we saw in the Miami game was Carolina came out and actually put up a couple early touchdowns. And then Miami was pushed enough to be like, oh, we're, we're scoring this game. We're doing this scoring thing. Oh, okay. How do you like this? And just absolutely release a deluge of touchdowns against them. <laughs> so I could, I could see this as, you know, I, I feel like CJ Stroud has already had his coming out game, but maybe, maybe a little uh, allow CJ Stroud to reintroduce himself type of week here against Carolina. So I'm really interested in Stroud this week. I've been actually targeting him a lot in the dog bowl. Uh, I just got sniped on him in this draft, so a little tilted, uh, but we'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> um, it makes, uh, makes sense. And I suppose, not, not to give away too much of the secret sauce, but we all, on, on stat chasing, always try to make it... Uh, always try to make it as applicable and, 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 and usable as possible. And so would you mind um, and, 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 and tell me to shut up if, or if you just rather move on, but would you mind telling me how you're sort of using Stroud in uh, in the dog bowl as in like, I I'd prefer not to, but I will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Stroud is Stroud's one of the best picks on the board in the dog bowl. In my opinion, the game is one of the higher totals. If you look at the lines on pinnacle right now, um, it's actually a relatively high total. It's not the highest total. So I, I kind of like taking the games that are like the second through fourth highest totals and thinking about how those might go over because the first high, the highest total game on the week, people just always seem to condense to that because it's the highest total. So it's the best game. It's like, dude, there's fragility in these projections. Like, so you just get so much overwhelming market confidence that the highest game is the best game. 
And so I really like the games that are in that just echelon right below that. So I love Stroud for that. He goes very late. Uh, in this draft, he went at the four or five turn, but you could easily get him, you know, in, in the fifth or even the sixth round, depending on the room. Um, where Nico Collins goes is a little early for my taste. Uh, so I, I'm just giving all the alpha away. I'm totally killing myself here, but whatever. If you guys are tuning in, the alpha is yours to have. But uh, I think Tank Dell is like... So for for how much I loved Cortland Sutton last week and was overweight Cortland Sutton because he he wasn't getting drafted and he should have been based on the projection I had for him relative to the other receivers. Tank Dell is that guy this week. He he projects better than where he's getting drafted, and it's in a great game environment and it's super easy to stack up with the quarterback and just the kind of the order in which you're able to assemble your team with a guy like Tank Dell and Stroud that could legitimately be your last two picks. It allows you to get like two extremely strong running backs, an elite tight end, and then a wide receiver who you're really not sacrificing a ton of points, uh, of projected points for if you get them in, you know, the the fourth round. Um, or you could start with an elite wide receiver and get two, you know, good solid running backs. Anyway, there's there's a lot of really strong ways to build uh, Tank, Dell, and Stroud stacks right now in the dog bowl. So I've, I've hammered a bunch of those already. You uh, gave so, away way more than I was asking for. So yeah, what, whatever, man. I'm, I'm looking at saying that community appreciates. Look, looking inside. to hang out with some pals in uh, in Miami. <laughs> so if I can't punch another ticket here with Stroud, I hope one of the listeners can. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all we'll share right now for my uh, my dog bowl picks. I got <laughs> I still got to try and lock up another ticket for myself. Um. Very fair, very fair. Not not gonna press. Very generous, so not going to uh, press any further. And think we've covered quarterbacks here pretty uh, pretty comprehensively, especially when you consider most of these guys are at the spot they've been on for most of the year. Uh, let me scroll out or zoom out a little bit. And so this is the running back snaps and usage chart, and this is. Every play a running back was on the field as a percentage of their team's total plays. And so the green is that's rush attempts. Yellow is routes. The blue is pass blocking. And the gray there is is run blocking. And so obviously running back, uh, most running backs or a lot of running backs do actually get a, a that those, their, their rush attempts. Those are plays where they're on the field or getting the ball. Pass, uh, pass routes, those can be more variable in, in, in valuableness because a target is, is worth something along the lines of twice a, a, a rush attempt. So they are, they're really valuable, but at the same time, when a running back is, is running a route, there's no guarantee that they get targeted. And, and oftentimes when they do, it's not the intent of the play. So very useful to track because those targets are a really important part of fantasy, but not a, a, a little bit more variable week to week. And then pass blocking, just an indication of if they're trusted to be on the field on those uh, passing downs and then run blocking. Who fucking cares? <laughs> excellent, excellent summary of the chart. Uh, and and as Drico mentioned, kind of on the quarterback's chart, on the running back's chart, 
there's a lot of guys where the trend is continuing to hold. There's not major changes. So we'll be able to go a little quicker through this. Some of the guys that I did want to bring up, um, I mean, we, we got the huge performance from Deonta Foreman. And again, this chart is a rolling four-week snapshot of usage because, mm-hmm. again, with running back, it's really important to stay up on the trends and see how they're changing over the season, not just be anchored to what happened in the very first weeks of the season. Um, so you're seeing Deonta Foreman's uh, snaps and, and usage be a little lower. Now, he, he didn't get a ton of snaps, really. He split the work. Uh, more or less with Darrington Evans. He just was much more efficient with his work and and got there on the back of a lot of touchdowns. Um, But I am really interested in Roshan going forward uh, just because we've seen that offense. They're, they're down to run the ball. They, they would like to run the ball quite a bit. And so I think Roshan is a good player. I, I think he's a plus in the passing game as well. And he's, He's not quite as big as Deonta Foreman. Deonta Foreman's huge. He's like closer to Derrick Henry than not, you know, um, as right. far as his stature. But Roshan is is no uh, small back by any means. He's 220 plus. He's a big boy. Um, so I could, there's a path to Roshan consolidating a lot of the work. Um, I, I could I could see Roshan ending up with a higher share of opportunities and, and snaps than they even gave Foreman. Uh, so I'm very interested in Roshan going forward. The he was other... already sort of the primary passing down back. Yeah, yeah, he's already um, so he's, he, he, he's obviously going to still be that when he comes back in. And whatever rush attempts uh, Darren Evans was getting, he he'll probably get. And and would imagine that his case for rush attempts is stronger than Darren Evans, but. I, I guess the, the, the other side of it, it would be that Dante Foreman did play really, really well. So just if I'm playing devil's advocate just for a minute, and someone's like, oh, if he played so well, why would they why would they not do that with uh with Foreman? Or, or why would they take snaps away from Foreman or rush attempts away from Foreman? Yeah, good question. I I don't think that I mean obviously it's different when you're in a game as opposed to you know, preseason and training camp, but it's not like Dante Foreman was this big unknown asset, right? Like we, we saw what he was capable of doing last season and I'm pretty sure the bears know what they have in him. I I think the bears really like him as this is a guy where if we need to have him come in and take carries, not a big drop off in production and, and what he's capable of doing for us in the run game compared to the guys we prefer, but they clear, like they've already told us we prefer Khalil Herbert strongly, like strong enough that Foreman's a healthy scratch, you know, and we prefer Roshan strongly, strong enough that Foreman is a healthy scratch. So I, I would say that if the bears have their way, they'd prefer to be using Herbert uh, and Roshan. Now with Herbert still going to be missing some more time, I would expect us to see it a as a, a mix of snaps between Foreman and Roshan with Darrington Evans kind of getting kicked to the curb there. And so we'll see, you know, this is this is the kind of situation I really like though for my rookie running backs. Like Deontay Foreman is is, you know, he's certainly competent in the NFL. It's not like he's an absolute no talent, you know, nothing Najee Harris level back. But uh <laughs> had to had to get another Najee dig in there. Um but when you have a guy in front of your rookie running back who you're excited about, who's more or less just a guy, that's a situation I love because if your rookie running back 
is it able to consolidate more of the touches, then it probably just wasn't going to happen regardless of like it, it wouldn't happen because they, they just aren't good enough. Right. So having a guy like Foreman in front, and this was kind of my thesis with Kendra this off season too, like having Jamal Williams be in front of Kendra, I'm not, you know, not super concerned if he can't beat out Jamal Williams, doesn't matter. Kendra wasn't good. And so that's kind of the way that I look at the Foreman and Roshan situation. If Roshan's actually really good, he'll beat out Foreman for even more work. And if he's not, then it doesn't really matter that Foreman is there because Roshan wasn't going to be good enough to get more work anyway. Um, just on historical anomalies point, I, I was thinking the same thing, whereas when the game plan is for a heavily established <laughs> run game, uh, Foreman is very effective in that role. But it does seem to what you're saying, Zach, that when, uh, when they need a bit more versatility in their game plan, they seem to be going towards Roshan and uh, Khalil Herbert. Yeah. The uh, the other guy I wanted to point out here, um, I would expect that we see Zach Moss continue to slide down this chart as Jonathan Taylor is getting worked in. So don't, uh, don't just see those Zach Moss uh, usage numbers and think he's still going to continue to hold that, uh, those opportunities going forward, I, I think we're we're starting to see the the ships in the night where uh, Jonathan Taylor is going to move on up and Zach Moss moves on down. Um, the other guy, I mean, we've got to talk about Alvin Kamara. Well, I think a better chart to talk about Kamara on is the uh, the efficiency charts. Um, so we'll we'll put a pin in that, but uh, just know that. Kamara is certainly interesting. Uh, and and Bijan, I think, as well. So you have you get this last week where Bijan has a allegedly has a migraine headache, isn't used hardly at all, gets one touch, 13 snaps. Um, kind of a bizarre situation. Doesn't show up on the injury report at all. So really blindsides fantasy managers. Oh man, here's here's more dog bowl alpha. So any dog bowl sickos, Bijan goes like a round and a half too late right now. So you should draft aggressively right now and like try if you can get a hundred percent Bijan, you should get it right now because he'll go up later. But right now it's too fresh and people like people are just burned by him from last week. But based on his usage and I like look at what else Algiers- happen in the NFL all the time. Yeah, like, yeah. We, we do projections, people do projections, people think about ranges of outcomes, and, and ne- we'll never consider somebody as a human being yeah. and has a migraine, and they didn't sleep at all, and they, they, they still have a headache, so they don't play. Like, that, 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 that's like a freak outcome, and I, I would, I, if, if I was to handicap it, I'd say it's like 99%, just like a one-off not not to be repeated like throw throw that game out of the data when you yeah. consider Bijan. yeah and look at like look at what algiers workload was was it 25 touches this game like and i'm not i'm not saying that Bijan's gonna go get all the you know they're gonna decide that algier rides the bench next week to make up for Bijan being out this week like you know it'll it'll likely still be a split like it has been in past weeks but Bijan is well, just it was Cordero Patterson who who uh, played a lot more, so he he probably will uh, return to the bench. Yeah, I, I would expect Patterson sees his snaps go down substantially next week with Bijan uh, most likely fully healthy. So 
that's another one where you, you can uh i honestly think in season long too Bijan's probably a good buy low he hasn't had like any of these huge nuclear games he's had a couple you know just modest performances and then you get people frustrated off the back of this last week um he definitely seems like a good buy low target to me yeah yeah definitely yeah definitely agree if if you can buy yeah Bijan low you should do it and it sounds like you can but uh <laughs> as, as that reluctant as Saka is to reveal that information yeah, I'm just, I'm giving all the alpha away. I figure, you know, we're here at our regular Tuesday time. We're behind the paywall. So people that, uh, people that are actually here listening to this live, like I'll, I'll give you guys the alpha, go draft a bunch of dog bowls tonight before this comes out tomorrow morning. Um, and, and I'll see you in Miami. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I, I would love to see, I would love to see the ship chasing, uh, community dominance of the dog bowl continue. Anybody else here that that stands out? I I feel like uh, we've sort of touched on each of these. You can you can go to the next chart because there's just one guy that I have like a quick note on, but we don't need the chart up for this situation. Um, but Jerome okay. Ford, just with the injury, um, you're you're going to see Kareem Hunt absorb a lot of that work. Obviously, mm-hmm. Pierre Strong gets the larger relative boost because he's going to go to having a part time role where before he had just like a occasionally get on the field kind of role so i would i would expect that strong gets mixed in for more carries but ultimately i think that you see hunt's workload increase as well and i think i think hunt will basically have the same role that he has had plus a little extra and then strong will come in and mop up those other uh touches and so again more more dog bowl alpha but kareem hunt goes like you know, very, very late right now. And it's behind a very good offensive line. Uh, the total game total is kind of low, but I really don't hate playing uh, just basically all the points on the Browns through Kareem Hunt this week. Make Makes sense for sure. Makes sense for sure. And so we, on this next chart, we have um, this, this is the same chart, but it's the backups. And this, this, this chart seems to me, that a lot of these sort of backups, it fluctuates a lot more week to week than for uh, for the starters. Where some of these guys, like for example, De Mercado, I know he had like an 80% share uh, in week seven, but then uh, week six, it was like 50%. And then before that, it, James Conner was healthy, so much lower. So it, 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 do, it does feel like these are all over the place a little bit. And you sort of you sort of want to pick the guy who has the best chance to maybe consolidate more than uh, more more than what they're showing here. Yeah, uh, Di Mercado is one I wanted to to bring up, so definitely a good call out there. Um, yeah, he he's a little bit interesting. Um, no. I mean, you saw Jalen Warren get in the end zone this week. I'm not. I just I basically think that backfield is like more or less a stay away. It's just uh, you know it doesn't look like a great offense, and it's two guys that are splitting the work up relatively evenly. Um, so yeah, not not super interested there. Uh, okay, Devin Singletary. We need to talk about Devin Singletary. So yeah, we talked about. I think we did talk about him last week. 
week, but then week he had did. a bye week. And, and yeah, and so, so it bears repeating. It's easy to forget. He yeah. is sort of emerging as a, as at least a one B in this offense. So coming off the bye week, I know there were there were rumors that Pierce was dealing with a knee injury, and that's why Singletary got that increased usage. I'm hypothesizing that we might see things go back to how they previously were, where we get 20 carries for Pierce, and Singletary is is more in that backup type of role um, that we had been seeing him in. I think it it could have just been, hey, Pierce's knee isn't 100%. Let's just rest him going into the bye. And, and I think my the way I'm, I'm seeing this play out is the knee wasn't bad enough to fully sit the guy, but it was tweaked enough that they were like, I mean, between lightening the workload and a bye week, he's going to be right as rain when he comes back. So that's that's what I'm thinking. And I, I kind of love the spot here against Carolina. I, I mentioned that I liked the passing side of the offense as well. I think that in builds where you don't go C.J. Stroud stacks, I think you go uh, with Damian Pierce here. I don't think you play it through Singletary. I think Singletary, I don't think either running back as a talent is particularly special. I think that Pierce has just a little more juice than Singletary, but I think they're both just guys. Um, But I do think that you have a chance for Pierce to have more of his old rollback where he's getting a lot of the work. And I think your, your ceiling for the amount of work that Singletary can have is closer to what we've seen for him already. And he's not, I think it'd be really tough to get an outcome where you get like 20 plus touches for Singletary is what I'm saying. But I think it's, it's there. Yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody's, I, well, I uh, wasn't calling for uh, 20 plus touches for Singletary, <laughs> but just, um, just to, I guess, disagree He's had he's previously before week six, he had he's had weeks of seven, nine, and seven rushing attempts. And he has been up there in terms of roots as well. So I, I actually I don't think last week was a true aberration. I think he has actually been getting a decent amount of work. And then maybe the only the only thing that, that's really different last week uh, you know i think the only the only thing that was different in in week 6 was maybe he was running a little bit more routes and getting targeted a little bit more his 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 rushing stuff was was sort of like a little bit in line as to what it was before so i i think maybe you're you're seeing somebody who's fluctuating between maybe 35% and 45% of the running back opportunity for single jury. And they're like you said, they're both Jags, but I, I think, I think it may actually be a, a true one, a one B. Yeah. And I, I should have framed it more as it's a Pierce take where there's, I think there's volatility in this situation. I think like there's a lot of fragility and projections on both players. And so I want to lean into like, for example, would you ever draft Singletary in a dog bowl? Or would, like, if you were going to play through the running game, would you just do Pierce? No, 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 yeah. no. Yeah. I, I'd laugh at somebody for doing it. Yeah, and so, and I like I like Singletary as, like, a stash in a, you know, mm-hmm. a home league or, you know, if you're yeah. in FFPC uh, with a running back room that looks like ours where 
you know, we're rolling yeah. out. <laughs> we, we'd love to have Singletary on our main event. Yeah, I think we started Darrington Evans and Justice Hill last week. So like, yeah, Devin Singletary would be our RB1. Um, <laughs> so in, in those types of situations, Singletary has a lot of value. Um, but just looking at this situation uh, for the fragility in the projection, I do, I like, I like Pierce kind of as a, a undrafted back this week that you can uh, right. throw a guard at in the dog bowl. So just trying to get all there my There is dog some possibility. Out. There is some possibility that he actually is a, a sort of quasi bell cow. And, and the, the last couple of weeks have been noise. And, and now maybe after a bye week, he's fully healthy and, and ready to re, uh, reestablish himself. Speaking of fully healthy, uh, what do you make of the Aaron Jones usage this week and and AJ Dillon after Jones had sat out a couple games and was supposed to be back to health? But what what do you think about what we saw this week? It feels a little bit like that the hamstring is not fully healthy, and that Aaron Jones is sort of an older player with a hamstring issue, and those can be sort of frustrating, and they can hang up, they can linger. And they are not quite satisfied with the results they're getting from AJ Dillon. And they're like, okay, we like we need something here. And so they're they're almost forced to rush Aaron Jones back a little bit, even though they're not playing him very much. That that I that that's maybe reading the tea leaves too much, but that's how I sort of squared a circle of Aaron Jones when healthy is clearly way better than AJ Dillon and doesn't quite appear to be there yet. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense to me. I that I, I think that tracks. Um, I I didn't have anyone else on this chart to talk about. Do you want to move on to the efficiency charts? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's do that. Um, I, I guess I will note that um, the the four week trend is probably not very kind to Javante. But if you look at at last week. He he clearly was the 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 RB one, and and so we'll, as as the um, the four week trend or rolling average is 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 focused on games where he's healthy, he he should be on this next chart. Uh, uh, sorry, on the uh, on the starter chart. That's a that's a good call out. Yeah, Javante definitely uh, will be trending up. I would say. So. This uh, this is sort of the expected points. So we've got rushing expected points on the horizontal, and then receiving expected points on the uh, the vertical axis. And I think one thing that it is important context for thinking about expected points is that it it's supposed to be a fairly simple model of in the average situation given the variables that, that that we can look at, for example, where on the field did they get the ball, stuff like that, What what is the average amount of points scored there? And then the efficiency is sort of an error term, which is really where where did the model get wrong? Who, who And, and, and it, it, it is also who outperformed their expected and who underperformed, but it's also where was the model wrong? And... I, I think that is like important context and, and, and we always want, we is it, it's also an important stat, but important to keep in mind that there is like a, uh, there is a limitation to expected points. That's a, that's a good explanation. And, and would you say that a, 
big part of the error that's getting captured by the fantasy points over expected or, or under is coming in the form of touchdowns, right? A big, a yeah. big amount of the error is coming yeah. in the form of did you or did you not convert touchdowns just because those are so many fantasy points on, on that given play that even, you know, even a goal line run where say you've got a 50% probability of punching it in for a touchdown well, your expected points are three. So if you mm-hmm. convert, you are all of a sudden three points over expected. That's huge. Or if you fail, you're three points under expected. So it's important. This is still a valuable stat, but it's important to mm-hmm. understand the context with it. And I think that was a really good point that Drico brought up there. And, and then you have stuff like Gus Edwards inexplicably getting an 80-yard <laughs> run where he gets, he gets chased down by defensive linemen. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I, a, I, that's a bad look for everybody. I, I got to tell you, I was watching the Gus Edwards 80-yard run there, and uh, it was it was a pass from Lamar, so I was happy. I was sweating my dog bowl teams, had a lot of Lamar. Right, you and, got the yardage. Uh, and so I'm, I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, man, he, he might score a touchdown here. Like, ideally, I'd love for him to get stopped at, like, the one and have it go to Andrews. Like, that would be <laughs> the nuts for me, which is exactly what happened, and I, I was a very happy man. Um, really, I would have loved to see that be a Justice Hill catch and run. Um, but you know, we can't always get what we want. So right. And Justice Hill definitely would have scored. Probably. Oh yeah. No, no doubt. I mean, the that's the frustrating thing. Like Justice looks so electric when he's getting the ball. And he's even doing well in some of those between the tackles runs or I mean, they're not giving him a ton of those, but like there's times where he's he's getting, you know, six yards where it looks like there's only three there. Um but yeah, they really do seem to want to lean on Gus Edwards for the majority of the volume, and they're just mixing Justice in kind of as, as a satellite back, which makes sense given his profile. Uh, I think we would just wish that Justice was was more in the satellite back plus category, where he's getting a little bit more work. Um, but we'll, we'll see if the situation changes at all throughout the, se- the season. Um, but it is looking like if you drafted either of these Ravens running backs – um in best ball this summer you're happy with it you know obviously drafting yeah. dobbins was was very painful but getting either of these late round dart throws in edwards or justice hill you've at least gotten some usable weeks out of them and a, a little bit of a spike week so yeah and, and, and i guess to to play into my point about the expected points and, and the efficiency stuff so saquon shows up as a really small ball as having been inefficient. And I'm looking here, and, and according to what a, a PFF, they, he only has 74 rush attempts on the season. And that's a that's a pretty like small, small sample. So the idea of him being uh, un, uh, having rushing yards under expected and then obviously missing out on some touchdowns as well, that's... I, I, with the sample size there and, and, and the way this stuff works, that would be something where I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm not quite ready to believe that Saquon is just down bad. That's a, that's a good point. And I'm glad you brought up Saquon because he was the, the first guy I really wanted to bring up on this chart. Uh, I do think that the inefficiency is partially systemic due to their offensive line struggles and not just the offensive line, but the, the offense in general um, has not looked great. It's yeah, looked better. The offense has been bad. Yeah, it's looked better with Terod Taylor, um, which is 
very unfortunate for for the Giants organization who just extended Danny Dimes and gave him a bunch of money. Um, but also, as a Cowboys fan, I find it hilarious. Um, but I, I can't really throw stones. Uh, Cowboys are, are not looking great either. Um, another guy that, uh, uh, moving on from Barkley, another guy, though, in the same category as Jacobs, where they, they both are getting these insane workloads. They haven't been terribly efficient with them. If you had to pick between Barkley and Jacobs, who do you prefer rest of season just for producing fantasy points? I I would probably still go for Saquon. Um, just because I feel like now we we actually we have a decent amount more sample size than Josh Jacobs just because he's been playing. And we also have this sort of long view thing of he hasn't actually been that efficient throughout his uh, his career, so it's it's sort of like a slightly prefer Saquon. I th- I think that they both have great roles. Uh, Jake Jacobs ha- does have a good role, which give, gives him a good floor and and then a ceiling on top as well if he's able to convert touchdowns. But I I do think I would prefer Saquon just because. There is there there's some scenario there where he still Saquon Barkley still has the the uh, the long touchdown upside can still be a really strong receiver, but I guess you do need the offense to pick up some. But I think that's sort of true of Josh Jacobs too, where that offense has definitely really struggled. The uh, the only other guy when I was looking at this chart that I wanted to talk about was Rashad white and it's less about Rashad white and more about the opportunity that's available in the bucks offense uh, with respect to chase Edmonds coming off IR. So if you're in a situation like us and our main event team where you need any and all running back help you can get to me, the bucks have told us we are willing to try anything at running back, right? They've given lots of guys opportunities. They gave, they're you know, still giving Rashad White the majority of the work. They've taken a look at Keyshawn Vaughn. They kicked the tires on their undrafted rookie free agent, Sean Tucker. And now you've got Chase Edmonds coming off of IR. Now Edmonds kind of flamed out spectacularly last season where he was, he was kind of that mid-round RB darling. People were really excited about his role in Miami as a potential pass catching back. Didn't work out. He bounced around, spent some time with the Broncos, really didn't do a ton there. But he's shown when he was with Arizona, he's had, he's flashed that he could handle a full workload and he was able to produce fantasy points at a high level. I don't think he's particularly great. I think that, you know, his his best days are probably behind him and he's not long for the league. But I don't think anyone in the Bucks backfield is particularly great. And so this is the kind of situation where there's a lot of work to be had and the competition is not terribly stiff. So I'm happy to throw a dart here for a guy that could easily just fall into this 10 to 15 expected fantasy point per week category that's basically free on your waivers. The, uh, the other thing that I think is really important with uh, Chase Edmonds Tampa Bay, they play Thursday night. And so that is a really if, if you are thinking about these sort of bottom of the roster guys where you're churning, 
being able to pick them up on waivers before um, before the game. And then I think if you don't play them, you can drop them on Saturday, right? Yeah. And so if you can pick up Chase Edmonds, and if he if after coming off IOR, he uh, he doesn't play, or he he gets like a low amount of snaps, and maybe you want to hold on to him because he's still maybe he's still ramping up from injury. But I do really like churning the guys playing on Thursday, just because you get the free luck, and then another shot at, at it on Saturday if you don't like what you see. That's that is a great call. That's a that's a really sharp way to play it. Um, I didn't have anyone else on this chart I wanted to spend time on. Just most of the other guys are just holding trends or continuing. Uh, you want to move on to the next one? Um, yeah. I I mean maybe maybe just uh, sh- uh, stamp on some graves. Uh, I think the Antonio Gibson usage here is is it's fine-ish, but also it's not great either. Like Chris Rodriguez is in now too. It's yeah, it's looking kind of Jover for Antonio Gibson. Yeah, especially for somebody we were. He was a one-two turn pick, like not very yeah. long ago. Yeah, Antonio Gibson, Jonathan Taylor, one-two turn. <laughs> yeah, one of one of those worked out. Yeah, one one of those things is not like the other. But yeah, happy uh, happy to move on to the yeah to, to the, the next chart as well. Okay, so this is why I wanted to wait to talk about Kamara uh, until we had this chart. So you'll see so much of Kamara's value is coming from his expected points in the receiving game. And he's been good in the receiving game. I'm I'm really curious. I want your take on this, Drico, because I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. But is he going to be able to continue this getting this level of targets like i mean shoot if he if he drops down to i mean even like seven targets a game which is a lot of targets still for a running back right but you know still he he's just been getting so many if he drops down to seven targets a game he's going to move back into this 15 to 20 expected fantasy point band which is still i mean still great for the price you paid for him uh you know you're, you're obviously happy to have him i'm wondering if we're just seeing something unsustainable in his receiving role. What do you think about that? I think it, it has to be unsustainable because the Saints did, I think they played something like 70 snaps. They played an insane amount of snaps last week. So, and, and, and him being, him being the like major beneficiary of that, is that it's really it's really strong the fact that they can play that many snaps and Kamara is still like this stranglehold on these touches has to be good for him but the fact that it's it's not really it's not really effective football either so like I don't know I don't know how sustainable it is it's like if they keep doing it it's how can that work? How can that be like a good way to approach your offensive game plan is to just dump the ball off to Kamara and, and, and like, that's it. And you, but, you mentioned something earlier that I think is worth applying to this situation in that 
you know, we might still have Carr's shoulder getting back to full strength. And so maybe as he is feeling more healthy, his shoulder's better, he can push the ball downfield more. Now, it's not like he has had too much trouble pushing it downfield. So I don't know how much validity there is to that narrative mm-hmm. for uh, for that, you know, taking away opportunities from Kamara. But I, I do just wonder if maybe, you know, a couple weeks from now, we see that volume to Kamara decrease and the Saints are, are throwing the ball downfield a little bit more. I'm not exactly certain on that. I, I do know that even if we saw his role reduce a little bit, he's still going to be, you know, the, the yeah. opportunities he's getting are great, right? Like you're, what he's you're a looking at. 20 point guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. I think the, the, this one might be uh, a situation where his, him coming way under, unexpected points is sort of like a model error in that the model thinks the model is assigning him an expected points that he shouldn't actually get because the touches he's getting it's not a target to Kamara is actually not as valuable to a, a target to CMC for example where it's just these predictable boring checkdowns and yes, you get the PPR point, and that's how he's getting the fifteen twenty. But it's it's going to be a high expected points under actual, and, and then he's going to come under that. But even if the expected points is sort of so high right now that even coming under that, he's still scoring points. But I guess if if he can if he can sustain that, he's like he, ama- amazing, amazing uh, pick for where you got him and then 15 to 20 points is like, that's all you can sort of ask for from back on a consistent basis. But I, I really do have strong questions and concerns over whether basically a bad game plan is a viable way to, is a viable projection for the next two months. And I, yeah. I, I'm pretty skeptical that, that that's the case. I mean, there's there's only so many times that uh, they can be in the film room on Monday and watch Kamara <laughs> get a target within, you know, two feet of a linebacker and just get flattened for a gain of two. <laughs> you know, like that. I, I agree with you. There's no way that they feel good about that as a team. So I, I would uh, I would expect to see a little tick down for Kamara. It's still going to he'll still be good. Um, right. And then maybe we see a little bit of a tick up for the other passing options there. Uh, the other guy that I wanted to talk about is Eckler. We've seen him have a, a little bit of a down uh, you know, performance since he's come back from that injury. I don't know if it's still, you know, just the, the lingering effects of a high ankle sprain or whether it's that, you know, they, they just haven't been giving him quite as many, you know, targets as he usually would get. Uh, but he's he's been a little disappointing lately. Um, how do you feel about Eckler going forward? He sits in the same band with Swift. And I think that's kind of an interesting comparison here. Um, would you prefer Eckler over Swift rest of season? That's really hard. <laughs> and it's a it's a re, it's honestly a really tough question. Which I have an Eckler team that I was excited about getting them back in 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 punching in shouting distance of second place. 
and it's disappointing that I I can't um I can't definitively say I prefer Eckler. Like I want I want to say Eckler just because when when in the upside scenario of him just being like just the star player who they really rely on Eckler as a playmaker to get it done when he's at his best. That if you ask me who who would I if the question was who would I bet to score more points weeks fifteen through seventeen, Eckler like ten times out of ten. Like a hundred percent. Um so maybe that helps me answer the question that like I think I do actually prefer Eckler, but I'm getting a little bit more worried about his return from injury, where every game I see, where I see him not look quite right, not be featured as much as I want, and uh, makes me a little bit more concerned. But I do I have to expect that the baseline I have to think the the baseline expectation that he does come back from injury. Uh, at least like 95, 99% Eckler and, and does sort of return the form and, and in which he becomes very, very valuable. But Swift is easily the better bet to outscore him for the foreseeable anyway. Yeah, I think that was a really good way to break it down. Um, the way I would kind of frame it is that when things break right for Eckler, he's going it's it's not it's almost not possible for swift to project you know every every week if you you know look in your mind's eye it's it's week 15 and the projections from etr just dropped you know eckler's going to project higher than swift you, you know like if he's if he's healthy mm-hmm. and his role is what we've seen it be in the past like it, without a, a shadow of a doubt like eckler's going to be the better projected player right and he could easily, I think the path to him having that type of projection where, hey, every single week, Eckler's being projected for damn near 20 points, you know, just because he's, he's getting right. such a crazy role is a lot. That has a way higher probability of happening than Swift. Basically, what you're asking for from Swift is, can I get a supercharged Miles Sanders season for the rest of this season? You know, Miles Sanders from last mm-hmm. year where he would have these big spike games where he he happened to get the rushing touchdowns that week. It wasn't a you know a brotherly shove. Or every other running back gets injured. Right. That's yeah. what you need for Swift, which unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I wanted wanted to bring up Eckler there. Um, any other guys that you see on this chart that you wanted to talk about? Um, I did sort of note that, or I did notice that Madison feel uh, it, it, it does feel like Madison is going to come down a good bit. It it does look like Acres has been worked in more. And then you heard the comments from the broadcast that uh, the coaching staff thinks that Acres could be emerging as the guy going forward. And 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 there was sort of speculation that you know he wouldn't say that unless the coach actually told him that. Mm. And then, Did, um, so Acres actually he had ten expected points in in the last game, and Madison had, uh, Madison had fourteen. So, I de- I definitely think you're seeing you're 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 going to see Madison fall very much into the ten to fifteen, and depending on 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 on, the, on their performances, it, it it could easily go lower. 
And what did you what do you make of the Ty Chandler work too? Because he he got in there a little bit. He had uh, a nice kind of explosive play for them. He actually, I think he had a couple good looking plays. So I'm I'm wondering if the Vikings as a whole have decided let's just kick the tires on. You know, hey, while we're while we're giving Acres a look, let's see what all these guys look like. So I agree with you. I think Acres, especially you know, what you noted about the announcer, you know, most likely he's not just going off the cuff there. He may have. Right. You didn't make it up. Yeah. So I think you probably got to, got to assume that acres is the the leader in the clubhouse for uh, capturing more work, but I I would leave a light on, you know, I I was already that good either. Yeah. I I was writing my Ty Chandler shares off. Like the Ty Chandler shares were already on my tax forms as capital losses. (laughs) You know, they, they were, those are gone. Um, but I, after this game, I got a little bit of renewed hope because, yeah, no one's no one's good here, and Ty Chandler looked kind of good, you know. So right, that might be copium more than anything. But I do, I think the broader takeaway is that this is a murky backfield situation. It's ambiguous, right? Uh, and, and, and just to be clear as well, we're not like uh, we're not making it out as if Ty Chandler got featured. He had one reception for what was it 12 yards where he actually he looked nice and 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 that's sort of like a well if these other guys aren't that good then the fact that it's murky the fact that nobody is really uh nobody seems good enough to really put their stamp on it means that you know maybe maybe there is a chance for Ty Jandler here and I, I may be misremembering didn't he also have a, a pretty good carry I think he had like one breakaway carry um, but maybe maybe that was Acres, and I'm just attributing it to. He did uh, not have a carry. Sorry. Okay. Uh, it was it was Acres, and Acres looked even better than I remembered. <laughs> uh, but shall it, we... it, it, it's definitely not a clear cut backfield. Yeah. Uh, shall we move on to our yep. tight end utilization? Yes. And so, please, please uh, take your victory lap over Mark Andrews as well. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't really feel any uh, particular sense of pride in playing Mark Andrews last week. I feel like everyone and their mom knew that was a good Mark Andrews spot, and he's been at the top of our chart for the you know damn near the whole season. So that one, I'm I'm much less proud of than the uh, you know the Foreman pick and <laughs> the the Sutton uh, all all the fringy wide receivers. I was a lot more proud of, but. Yeah, I mean, Mark Andrews uh, still still remains king up there. Um, you know, obviously Travis Kelsey with his thirty two percent targets per route run is uh, just. I mean, just when you think that Travis Kelsey's role can't get any better, the Chiefs are like, "What if we just didn't have any wide receivers? Do you think we could make it work?" And Kelsey's like, "Yeah, hold my beer. Let's let's see how it goes." Um, a guy that I wanted to point out here, um, I guess this is, it's kind of like a, a mixing, a melding of the charts, if you will. Um, but you're seeing Zach Ertz with 23% targets per route run. Um, and he's got a, a gang of snaps over the last four weeks. He's on IR now. And already right. prior to him being placed on IR, we already saw the ascension of Trey McBride happening. Trey Mc, I don't want to like get out over my skis on this, but Trey McBride has, he looked good. He looks explosive and athletic. I don't really think, I mean, like as far as target competition is concerned, like I would say Marquise Brown is very clearly 
um, going to be able to earn targets better than McBride. But outside of Marquise Brown, I don't, you could definitely say that McBride has more target earning potential than Rondale Moore, Michael Wilson, right? And so I, I think you could. He's play. already at, he, so uh, Trey McBride is at 22% targets per run. And now yeah. obviously we'll, we'll talk about it on the next chart, but it's not like he'll, he's going to step into these routes and then uh, he's just a cardio boy. Like, no, he is hard. He, he earns targets when he's on the field. So the fact that there is all these routes for him to step up into could be really nice. And, it's, and the fact that he's running routes already, maybe it, it all consolidates on him. I, I think this is sort of like a huge moment in the uh, Trey McBride uh, uh, fanboy club where this is a real opportunity for him to show out. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a take, and you got to tell me if I'm too too bullish or not here. But Trey McBride, rest of season, top six tight end. I think as a baseline, it probably is. It it's it's I the way I put that is like extremely in the range in the in the range of possibilities. Like not not the most likely outcome, but definitely squarely in the range. Like. I, I would get I would and, and maybe I'm just too much of a bull, but I would put that at like one and three. Okay. That's that sounds about right to me. Um so I, I'm glad we're on the same page. There. Where it, you have to see, what has to happen for him is that he over the next four games while Zach Ertz is on IR, he plays so well that even when Zach Ertz comes back, they say, you know what, like sorry, bud, you're like we've got a guy now like we can't possibly bench Trey McBride now yeah uh Darren Waller finally had a game right I mean national national tight ends week uh everybody got theirs uh, it, Dar- the rising tide lifts all boats apparently yes yeah uh so Darren Darren Waller have yourself a day I uh, man the going back again to just the depressing reality for Giants fans, but it just kind of seems like everyone is doing better with Terod Taylor at the helm. Like you got Jalen Hyatt actually doing stuff now. You got uh, Darren Waller actually having a good game. So I'm, uh, I'm interested to see. I, I heard that the, the injury for Daniel Jones could be relatively serious. You know, it might yeah. It could require like a, a fusion, and and that's what ended Chris Carson's career. Now, granted, Chris Carson made a habit of running his face into three hundred pound ass grown men, and Daniel Jones doesn't do that every play. So, you know, maybe I, I don't want to speculate too much there. But it's I, a neck I'm, injury, and he's been out a while. So, yeah, like... I'm, I'm curious to see if we get an even more extended look at at Tarad and. Uh, I, I kind of feel like that's good for the offense based on what we've seen. So, yeah, um, you don't you don't love to see it, and um, but it another, has it has been helpful for them. Another situation where uh, you you've had an absence of the starting quarterback, but it doesn't really look like that big of a drop off is the Browns, and we've got David and Joku here he's, he's out here a lot right he's he's out there for a, a lot of team dropbacks um he did he did have a decent number of targets this week but his targets per route run is low his ADOT is extremely low the role doesn't seem terribly desirable but I do wonder if you know maybe if we get some more PJ Walker games in the sample like if we were looking at 
you know, a couple more PJ Walker games here. Um, maybe we get a, a little bit of a boost for Njoku and his targets per route run and ADOT, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm I not think that so is certain. interesting. And I think that is interesting where the Browns did make Jacoby Brissett look pretty good when Deshaun Watson was out last year. Deshaun Watson comes in, offense plummets immediately. Then Deshaun Watson goes out again. And P.J. Walker, who's like sort of like an XFL star, so borderline uh, up to now, the, 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 it looks like he's been a sort of borderline backup guy. But the fact that Brissett was also that sort of caliber, looked good, that maybe the offense is talented enough that that's all it takes to get to a baseline play and that maybe Deshaun Watson has been, the fact that he hasn't been able to, to get that out of the offense, maybe he's been terrible. Like, I think that that's, that, that's what you could be looking at there. And I, I think that that is a real possibility that if we see a couple more games like that, that's like, the, that's what it is. Unfortunately. Well, let's, well, unfortunately, let's I guess maybe that's Carmen. <laughs> Not my place to say. Um, the other guy I wanted to bring up on this chart, um, just Dalton Kincaid. I'm, I'm apparently, uh, some men are born taking L's. Some men become men that take L's and some men have L's thrust upon them. And with the Dawson Knox injury, I'm having a Dalton Kincaid L thrust upon me. I was feeling pretty good about my Kincaid fade, except for in tight end premium. And uh, I, I think the Kincaid slappies are going to get there, and I'm, I'm a little peeved about it. <laughs> well, I, I, I only play, I almost only played in tight end premium, and I thought with the, with the range of outcomes there, I did, I thought he was a worthwhile stab. Where, you know, even if you're wrong, you, you, you couldn't be that wrong, and. And I, I mean, who, who am I talking to? You, 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 uh, I think you said you didn't fade him on tight end premium. Yeah, yeah. For the for the record, I think even on some of our teams together, I was like, ooh, could we get some Kincaid? Because I have none in my portfolio, but I do love him in tight end premium. So I I do have some in tight end premium. I, I took a little bit, uh, I believe, in full PBR formats as well, but I basically took none on underdog price. But Pretty so sure obviously the, the injury is helpful for Kincaid. But however, he's still not a real tight end. So there's still the Bills are if they plan to use a tight end in their offense, it's not gonna be like, okay, now we now we're gonna insert Dalton Kincaid into that spot. Like I, I think there's actually obviously uh Dawson Knox was out, which meant more targets for Kincaid. But in sort of like a, in in some ways, they probably will still need a, they will still want a traditional tight end in that spot. So it could still be that his, his routes are limited relative to your, it's not, he's not going to run an elite level of routes. Okay. Well, you, you've uh, given me a little hope that I might just not get absolutely smashed by uh, by Kincaid here. Um, was so there... just, I guess just if we're uh, – his, his routes last week were only 
So, I mean, obviously Dawson Knox did play a little bit, but you're, I, I think there is still hope for the uh, the faders. Uh, the uh, the only other guy before we move on in the next chart, I'm I'm curious about Evan Ingram. I'm kind of kind of toying with uh, with playing him this week. I think he's interesting to me, and, and you'll see. You know, his ADOT is nothing. It's like absolutely nothing. His targets per route run are are good, right? He's up at twenty percent. Yeah, solid. Yeah, and and the offense is very concentrated. I do worry that if Zay Jones comes back, you'll see Ingram uh, lose a little. I think everyone in the offense loses some of their opportunities to if Zay Jones gets back, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm wondering, you know, I, I believe Zay is going to be back this week, but I'm I'm kind of toying around with the idea of Ingram. I do think that the ceiling is is probably still there for Ingram, even with that really low A dot, because so much of his ceiling comes from his yards after catch. Um, he's like, I don't know. He's interesting to me. What do you think about Ingram here? Um, with Ingram, he's sort of like, he's running starter level routes. He, he's running exactly like the, the amount of routes that you want. So what it, we got him as, as the sixth highest, seventh highest guy. And with with him and, and his target earning ability, it's been solid. So it's it's sort of like your median is that, that you get this sort of low end tight end one, which is like, you know what, fine. As long as you're not paying overpaying for low end tight end one or, or mid-range tight end one. It, it's fine. You're you're happy with it, and then just because um because of the nature of how tight ends work, you are you're still alive for those games where he gets eight or nine targets and and, and completely smashes. And so, I think that there is a value to Evan Ingram. You just you, you want to be careful about not overpaying. And so, is it is Evan Ingram like one of those tight ends on on, on the dog bowl that's absurdly cheap? You gonna make me say it, man? Yeah, he is. Fuck. Just, <laughs> well, just, well, that was yeah. so obvious. <laughs> We're just giving out all the alpha this week. Um, yeah, no, Evan Ingram is is one where like you can get him in the fifth round or like the sixth round uh, sometimes. <laughs> you brought him up. I know, man. I I was trying to ask under the radar. I I actually <laughs> needed your opinion on it. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, a great a great pick uh, in that uh, range. Uh, Especially with, uh, I guess, when when you need what what makes him so valuable, I think is that like there's twelve have to be taken, and so if he's going to be cheap, then great. And the on the other hand, the, the the case against Evan Ingram is that on on the dog ball slate, you do have Travis Kelsey, you have Mark Andrews, T.J. Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard, George Kittle, like you do ha- you do have some heavy hitters, which makes it harder for those middle range tight ends to get there here's here's a, a little bit more fun alpha that i i would love to get your opinion on too so we'll just we'll give it all out here on these slates where you have more number one more games on the slate mm-hmm. and and number two more elite tight ends on the slate do you think in general elite tight end is a worse strategy because if you conceptualize it as the 
frequency of the time that your elite tight end separates from the field is lower when there are more games on the slate, surely because number one, beating the field is harder because instead of going against nine other tight ends, you're going against 12 other tight ends now, right? And number two, the quality of the tight ends you're going against is also higher because you have more elite ones on the slate. So in a situation like that, do you think that it's fair to say that the advantage that you get from elite tight end is dampened compared to the advantage yeah. that you would have had last week? And so yeah. there's merit. You, you to... should be you should you should be more price sensitive when there's more of them. Yep. And I think the the advantage of you getting a true smash week is still it's if if you get if you get the the smash week and nobody else has it like that that still has the same value as before you're just a little bit less likely to get it and you should be paying less for that uh for that what you call it for for that possible possible outcome yeah. but it also i think it it also makes it harder for the middle range and small and and, and later range guys to win because it's like okay well now you're now it's you're not in, in in weeks where just let's say one elite tight end if that elite tight end doesn't get there then it's open season for everybody else but if you have four guys who could go who could nuke and then suddenly your okay game from a late tight end just doesn't it, it, it it's way less valuable because there's four guys who could just blow you out of the water so, like, hypothetically, not that I'm, like, drafting this guy at a super high rate, and I already have him on a bunch of my teams, and I don't want to share this alpha, but, like, hypothetically, say that one of these top four ceiling tight ends was going in, like, the fourth round, you know, late late fourth round, sometimes he falls this far, um, and his name rhymed with Morge Middle. Um, <laughs> would you think that in the context <laughs> of the slate like this, that would be a fucking awesome click? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, especially yeah. like George Kittle become <laughs> Blorge Middle becomes insanely valuable, uh, or say he he becomes especially valuable when a teammate is injured. So and, and when the and the relative price difference for him, like what I'm giving up when I take Mark Andrews is an elite quarterback. What I'm giving up when I take Travis Kelsey is Cooper Cup or Tyree Kill. What I'm right. giving up when I take George Kittle is. Terry McLaurin, you know, so right. yeah. the the only problem with George Kittle, I, I and I s- sort of strongly believe this is that when CMC, Debo, and and Ayuk are all healthy, it's it's so much harder for him to like have the the George Kittle games because he does so much more than for them in their mind. He does so much more than than catch passes. He's also like a, a really important blocker. So, but when, when Debo's out, they're like, oh, damn, we, we need to figure out how do we replace that production. And George Kittle is an awesome way for them to do that. Or Ayuka's out. Okay, there's somebody we can hit down the field. Or there's somebody we can get the yak from. So, I think especially if Debo misses another game, like, it, it, it's, such, it's such a smash. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I would also <laughs> say that if you happen to be a ball knower, the Kittle games do look like they are very much uh, intentionally a, a game plan thing. Where, like, for example, I'll, I'll bring up the Cowboys again just because it was traumatizing. 
Um, the Cowboys were very vulnerable getting attacked, you know, down the seam by Kittle. Like we, we were not capable of covering him with our secondary. And rather than, you know, just attack the Cowboys on the ground there, it was, hey, let's let's use Kittle to exploit this weakness of the defense. We don't need him to block, you know, all game here. Let's just use him when we're within striking distance. And uh, and that's how you turn, you know, three receptions into three touchdowns. So, like, for example, against the Bengals, if you knew that they had that weakness where they don't have a, you know, a safety or a linebacker type who's going to be able to hang with George Kittle, that might be a reason to lean even more into the matchup. I'm not that level of ball knower, though, but uh, it's definitely something where I, I'd love to be. ask. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. If, if um, you understand one NFL linebacker play, stat chasing wants to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. Please uh, call 1-800-STAT-CHASING. We need your team. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on. And so we did. We have talked a good bit about Trey McBride, which <laughs> just barely made not realize. Did not realize that uh, he was that uh, he was that low in Red's run, but has been uh, his targets per run has been good. And the other thing that's important about tight end is that a lot of tight end production is about the offense too. If the offense features a pass catching tight end. Like, that's super important, where some offenses just don't. Like, obviously, it can depend on the player, too, but some offenses just don't. But the uh, our, the Cardinals offense clearly does. And so, definitely super, uh, super excited about Trey McBride. I just noticed I, I had an error on this chart. Somehow, a quarterback made it in here of Taysom <laughs> Just a just a jab at FFPC and the absolute clown show that they are running over there with the change of Taysom Hill's positional designation after drafts already happened. Uh, yeah, just straight Looney Tunes. Taysom Hill's like actually running routes and doing tight end stuff. Like he's getting utility and gadget type plays and carries as well, but he's like the most a tight end that he's ever been. And uh, I mean uh, that probably ends when you get um, what's what's their uh, Jawan Johnson back from injury. But yeah, I just, I thought it was funny that the season where FFPC switches Taysom to quarterback is the season where he's like the most a tight end, just mm, chef's kiss. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty good. And so uh, I guess the other, the other thing worth mentioning is Michael Meyer. We, we did, we have seen him ramp up to the 50, 55% rates run range. But at least we've had two weeks now where he's been in that range. So I guess it's it's a little bit harder to sort of like track that trajectory of, of him just going up and up and up, where it, it's more like a, a threshold jump to them deciding that he's okay. He, he is an important part of our offense. And I think what you'll, you'll need to see for him to beat and, and, and get on to the next chart you need to see him make plays. If if, if he can make plays and, and and sort of like prove to them that yes, this is a star player in your offense, or, or at least a very important, a featured player in your offense. That that's how he becomes the the true sort of smash league winner. But we we, we do need to see a little bit more and um, more Reds run before he's a true starter. And I'm I'm for, willing to kind of throw this this week out for Mayer and and the Raiders offense in general, just playing 
with, you know, extremely dusty Brian Hoyer at, at quarterback and then AOC coming in for mop up duty. I don't, I don't think it's uh, I'm willing to it's representative. It. Yeah. I, I'm willing to toss it out. Um, obvi- like obviously it would have been better if even with Hoyer in there, mayor still commanding targets. I mean, I think he got a couple targets, but it's nothing, nothing that you would have, you know, wanted to see that trend continue. The other guy on this chart that I think is uh, worth mentioning, Luke Musgrave has just dealt with, he had the concussion. He got, I believe, was it an ankle injury or a foot injury this week? Um, anyway, Mus- Musgrave got hurt again. So he's he's one that's sneaky. Like he shouldn't be on this chart. It's just injuries that are keeping him down on this chart. Um I would say, you know, for his short-term outlook, it's a little bearish with the injury. Um, I would say long-term outlook, I'm, I'm excited about the player uh, being able to right. earn, earn more opportunities in the offense. Because to, to be honest, the receivers, uh, it, it looks like it's anyone, anyone can go out there and command, you know, the, the wide receiver or, or the number one pass catching role on this offense is still up for grabs. So think that's pretty uh pretty fair and i yeah I, i'm sort of like picturing him as being like a pat firemood ish and um, once he becomes healthy yeah that's fair so shall yeah, we get it. to wide receivers yeah so this is our wide receiver opportunity versus fantasy points for the 85 to 100 percent routes run players and on the horizontal axis, we've got weighted targets per route run, which is like targets per route run, but it rewards targets down the field more than targets close to the line of scrimmage. And then seeing as that's sort of supposed to be sort of like a, how valuable is your target profile? We've charted that against fantasy points per game on the vertical axis. And so in the top right quartile here, we've, we've just got the pure studs. These are the guys who run almost every route, heavily targeted, and, and they score points. So this is you've got your Cooper Cup, your Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. And then and, and just below that, we've got the guys who heavily targeted but haven't scored points. And with the main the main person in that chart is DeAndre Hopkins. And you can sort of like it makes sense that he hasn't scored that points. That the the, uh, the Titans haven't been very good. And, and and with the uh, quarterback change and Ron Tannehill out and the quarterback by committee, probably not expecting that to change anytime soon. The uh, the bottom left chart, that's this is your, yes, they're running lots of routes, but not getting very valuable targets, not scoring very many points. And then just above it, it's guys who are, not they, they're not getting the most valuable targets but they are scoring points and and often this can be the sort of regression candidate players but then i guess sack for cd lamb i i don't i wouldn't see him as like a negative regression candidate whereas like i sort of see him as a good player and yeah that's i i think where he's showing up on the chart here is just more uh an indictment on the offense and how they mm-hmm. they've been operating um, than on CD Lamb, uh, just they're they're refusing to target him heavily over the you know you got the one week where he was extremely heavily targeted, and then after that it's kind of like 
Mike McCarthy said, that was enough of that. Let's try some different stuff. And uh, what, didn't they say something? What, they were asked, hey, should you feature your best player more? And uh, Jerry Jones said, we like the tight ends. We, we like to see the tight ends get the ball. Yeah, Jerry is a you know, certifiable football mastermind, so you can't argue with that. Um, but no, I... I do think that CD is kind of an interesting spot this week against the Rams. That's like another one of those games that falls into the high total, but not the highest total on the slate. Um, and the Cowboys secondary is decimated with injury. So you could see them getting pushed there by the Rams. I, I'm kind of interested in that spot. You want the grossest one. That's like the least on brand play for me of all time. This is like an undrafted guy in the dog bowl, but I've been taking him. And I, I know I said, I never draft this player again. Um, but, and I think I'm going to stick by that for season long best ball, but I did take some Jerry Judy already on some dog bowl teams. And it's because now Sutton gets drafted and Judy doesn't get drafted and Judy on the chart has higher weighted targets per route run. I mean, they, they basically got like the same amount of targets last week. I'm just, you know, you're, you're going to see them play the chiefs who likely will be able to score at will on the Broncos. Like, isn't isn't the Broncos where Travis Kelsey just does his like three four tight end game shit every season or three four touchdown game at right. every season? So like can't can't you see the Broncos just getting absolutely destroyed? And, and Sean Payton is not stubborn enough that he continues to run in the face of just getting points shoved down their throat. Like he'll throw the ball, and now mm-hmm. that they've gotten rid of you know they they kind of stopped with the string of unnamed you know wide receiver three four five and six that have been getting stuff and now it's more concentrated to sutton and judy so i'm willing to take some un you know undrafted jerry judy dart throws if sutton was going undrafted i would take sutton but the play is purely i can get jerry judy where maybe only two percent of the field has him where you know six to seven eight percent of the field will have Cortland sutton and so I just don't think that the probability that Cortland Sutton outscores Jerry Judy is like three or four to one. So that's that's why I'm willing to do that. Very uh, logical and, and helpful. And doesn't it feel good to give away alpha that you know nobody else will use? If Yeah, if I win another Miami seat with Jerry Judy and no <laughs> one else gets there with a Jerry Judy team, oh, that's going to be the most delicious victory lap of all time. <laughs> but also conflicting because I'll be victory lapping Jerry Judy. You'll um, see Steve's every time you look in the mirror, Steve Smith is like screaming at you. Like. <laughs> I'll I'll have to point to my uh, my previous stat chasing clip <laughs> where I just buried Judy and, and let Steve know that uh, he and I can be boys. Uh, we talked about this player a little bit earlier um, with, you know, in the context of the offense as a whole and and their quarterback and the absurd target share going to the running back. But Chris Olave, I mean, when you look at, the weighted targets per route run that he's getting like, look at, I just want you to look at guys that are above that 70% threshold that aren't producing fantasy points. And it's Deandre Hopkins in an entirely dysfunctional offense. Right. Man, that's crazy. It, it's Garrett Wilson in, in an offense where he's having Zach Wilson have to throw him the ball. And, and that's basically, you know, like Marquise Brown is, is producing well enough. Right. And I have, I think that Carr is, very likely a stronger passer of the ball than Dobbs. And I think that Olave is very likely a better receiver than Marquise Brown. And so this is a spot where to me, this feels like a great positive regression spot for Olave. Um, 
you know what? Yeah. We'll, we'll just call it this week. The Dog Bowl winner is going to have Chris Olave on the team. And if it's a week where none of the quarterbacks separate, you could get there with undrafted Derek Carr. I don't think that's the way I'm going to try and play it, but I might have one of those. But yeah, Olave seems like an absolute smash this week, and I, I love him as a buy candidate. Um, the other thing, and, and, and you tell me if this is awful, about your Derek Carr to Olave stack idea, isn't it? Isn't that something where it's sort of like heavily correlated? Where Olave getting there is getting there through Derek Carr throwing it down the field, and Derek Carr throwing it down the field and, and being efficient would be very good for his fantasy score. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I let me uh, while you while you talk here, I can pull up a a correlation matrix and uh, take a look at. Um, what the correlation coefficient between Carr and Olave is, because I I would assume that it's going to be one of the higher ones between quarterback and receiver, um, just yeah. at, as you described through the the nature of of the way that that offense runs and how Derek Carr scores his fantasy points. Um, yeah, well, while that while you're you're looking that up, the other one that point that sort of sticks out is George Pickens, and. It looks like he's content. He's not just been a um, George Pickens. Even though Pitts came back, he uh, Pickens has continued to sort of see targets. And last week with um, with uh, Deontay Johnson back, he still got eight targets, and his air yards were were one twenty. So they were down the field. But it wasn't something where it's like so crazy. It's it's just like he's getting nine rep fades all the time. So that does give me a little bit of hope and, and, and fate that the offense will feature him more creatively than they have in the past. Yeah, so I'm seeing a, a correlation coefficient of 0.33 with Olave uh, to Carr. So, for example, like Lamar Jackson to Zay Flowers is 0.26. I mean, that's a rushing quarterback, though, so you're you're not going to get – um, you know, quite the same level of correlation there. What um, about like Mahomes and Kelsey? That one I would assume is, standard. That one I would assume is very high. But like Russell Wilson to Cortland Sutton's 0.33. Let's take a look at Mahomes and Kelsey. Uh, Mahomes because, and Kelsey is 0.37. So so you're you're doing pretty well with 0.33 from Olave. Um, yeah, that one feels pretty good. I mean, you're like, not. And I know I, I know that a lot of the. Uh, the historical QB to YR1, isn't that like around 30 to 33%? Yeah, and you've got, I mean, there's some guys that are just monster outliers, but they're they're like the absolute elite alphas. Like you got Tyree Kill to Tua is 0.61. But I mean, <laughs> that's right. That's a that's a different kind of beast. And and I'm sure that Cup to Staff, yeah, like Cup to Stafford's 0.56. But when you've got guys that are dominating that percentage of an offense's production mm -hmm. you'll get those crazy correlations um I, I do happen to think that in the game where olave goes off though when you're when you're in that you know right tail of his distribution there probably is a higher coefficient of correlation there because that's just the correlation coefficient across all outcomes but right yeah anyway uh any anyone else on this chart that you wanted to talk about uh, anybody else here? No, I feel like we've sort of like 
I feel like we've covered most of these players at one point or another. Okay. There's let's, nobody uh, here. Yeah, let's, let's hit move the next on. one. And as always, it's a Tyree kill chart where it's a player not quite running 100% of routes, just below. 80, so he's between 75 and 80, but he he's just like he's like the, the case study for this stat of somebody who gets a dominant share of down the field targets. Yeah, I mean Ty, Tyreek's just ridiculous. I mean Mike Evans is if Tyreek if I made this chart without Tyreek on it, people would be tripping over themselves about how crazy good Mike Evans has been. Right. Um Evans has been awesome and I I do think that it's it's definitely sticky at this point that it's it's clearly Evans over Godwin. I don't think yeah. that that inherently takes away a ton of the ceiling from Godwin. I, I think there's just a, I think there's meat on the bone with this offense for how people perceive the receivers. I mean, I just think that the stench of how we were treating them this summer has, has carried over. It's like, you know, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin got sprayed by the Baker Mayfield skunk and we gave him a tomato juice bath and people still think they stink, but like clearly not, you know, I I'm, I'm pretty much interested in Mike Evans every week for the rest of the season. Cause I just don't think that the market is going to, I don't think the market's been adjusting for what he's been doing. Uh, right. Another, another guy that uh, here, here you go. More dog bowl alpha. We're just giving it away. Kendrick Bourne undrafted again this week. I mean, look at dude, Kendrick, Kendrick Bourne is like, yeah, good, good call, Paul. Yeah. Bourne is great. Uh, yeah. Pittman also is one that I've been targeting kind of on the other side of that new Orleans game. So yeah, great, great minds think alike. Those are both very good call outs. Um, but yeah, Bourne, Bourne has emerged as the only competent NFL pass catcher on that offense outside of Hunter Henry, you know, and, and Henry was dealing with the ankle issue. So his, uh, his opportunities were down this last week. Uh, you, you did see, uh, was it, was it Demario Douglas that ran like, I want to say he ran like three quarters of the route. So he was, uh, he was getting up there this last week and usage. It does look like the Patriots might have, uh, have found a guy that they want to be using, you know, and it was 76% on okay. that route run. So, yeah, I, so, yeah, I think, I think what we'll see going forward is it's probably going to be born in Douglas as the guys running the majority of the routes and then they'll mix in the collection of, you know, misfit toys and Juju Smith Schuster and Devonte Parker and Tyquan Thornton. And just, just want to point out um, Lewis. And just so I guess everybody knows, we are aware that Olave got arrested uh, this week, but I mean, he's probably not going to get suspended. And it, it seems to me that that's, that's very much reflected in his price across different uh, diff- different platforms. I see his ADP is thirty, and like you're you're just not going to get a, a wide receiver that projects like Olave at that ADP without like something like this coming up. And I, I want to be conscious of, of of sort of social issues, but also want to be focused on on helping people uh, win money as well. Yeah, o- Olave is going in like the fourth round on uh, in the dog bowl a lot of the time. And the number one, when a player gets arrested, 
nothing happens for a long, long time, right? Like Alvin Kamara attempted to murder a man and he nothing happened right. for over a season. I mean, he's getting a speeding ticket. Yeah. Who he cares? Was, he was 35 over, you know? And, and <laughs> like, as a, as a quick aside... I, I get it, but... As a quick aside about the the morality of, of players, there's a lot of really shitty dudes in the NFL. You know, coaches and players are like, there's some bad people in this in this sport, you know? We, we don't have right. to like all of them. But what these guys are in the context of the game that we play, these are a proxy as a random number generator for us, okay? And, and like, that's that's what they are. So, like... I, when I have a Deshaun Watson team, you bet your britches I'm happy to see that one go down in flames as Deshaun Watson cries like a baby back bitch on the sidelines because he's having a bad game and he's got a fragile little ego. Like, I, I relish in it. It's delicious, you know? Right. But I don't let the acts of the person impact the way I view them as a random number generator because we're playing a game, you know? So yeah. just a, a quick aside there. But uh, back to the charts. Um one of uh one of the other guys here that I, I think is really interesting, we've talked about him before, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him again, is Terry McLaurin. He's going against a really tough Eagles defense, uh, who kind of I mean, I feel like the Eagles defense sort of made a statement against Miami for a little bit. And, and granted, you know, Miami was able to uh to put up some points on them, but there were some points in the game where it really looked like the Eagles defense was just stifling to them and so i'm curious do you think that is this going to be a situation where maybe the eagles just beat the brakes off of the commanders enough that terry can get there in garbage time or is this is terry like a full avoid for you this week how would you play that um i think i am a stay away for the commander's offense and the problem with the eagles is yes they will beat the piss out of your defense but they also stay on the field so much. Like, they just, like, vaporize time of possession. So, and and then they also have they have the great defensive line, and, and Hell has his sack issues. So, it – McLaurin is probably good enough that he can get there in any sort of game. But I, I don't think that I would view this as, like, a positive, like, uh, game for him. I, I think he can still get there, but still not like it's it's not it's not a situation where I'm like salivating over by any means. Okay. Uh one one other guy that we have to mention just off of the back of his monster performance last night is Jordan Chadison, who <laughs> just some absolute alpha shit last night, ripping the ball out of a defender's hands for a breakaway touchdown. I mean, this dude was doing it all. He easily could have had three touchdowns on the night. Like, he he looked like the real deal. And I I kind of think the uh, the Vikings might have the best receiving core in the NFL when you get Justin Jefferson back because I I I think Jordan Addison's very good, um, not just like yeah. a little good. So that's a really Clearly fun very ball. good and. Definitely making a strong case for the most valuable uh, 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 rookie receiver so far. And, and and definitely would be very, very, very excited, even though he was on, a little on the expensive side. Uh, still a very, still a very valuable pick and, and for the upside that you can get the rest of the way. Yeah, he, he looks like a smash. Um, my only regret is that I didn't draft more. But I was mm-hmm. I was very heavy on him. Uh, but 
I spread my bets out like a good little soldier and I, I packed market equal. Portfolio Curie to, beta. Yeah, I, I packed my bags full of Quentin Johnston and uh, yeah, I'm wishing I could just trade those all in for Jordan Addison shares right now. <laughs> in fairness, you you, uh, you could not, uh, they were going like multiple rounds apart. That is true. But um, do you think, do you t- with Justin Jefferson out, are you just expecting that type of performance from him going forward? Oh, I mean, I, I don't think you can uh, get like a, you know, two touchdown kind of week from him every week. But Every week? No, of course not. But he, I mean, he looks like he, he they just played a very good 49ers defense, right? It's not like they were against scrubs uh, by mm-hmm. any means. I just think Jordan Addison's good. I think that he can win. Uh, regardless of the quality of defender across from him. And I, I think that he can win, you know, regardless of having Justin Jefferson on the field to draw the attention of the defense. So it, it's just something where I, you know, when Jefferson comes back, there's, he's going to soak up so much of the volume for the offense yeah. that. And Hawkinson does too. Yeah. You, you'll necessarily see Addison's opportunities decrease a little bit. I do think, though, you still could see him have this elite efficiency. I mean, he's been uh, during the during the pre-draft process, um, evaluating prospects. I loved Jordan Addison because he looked like an elite deep ball winning kind of receiver. And I I thought worst case scenario, I'm going to get a guy who occasionally is going to get a deep ball here or there and he's going to win at that. And the only other guy that I liked, you know, in the same echelon is ability to win deep was Marvin Mims. And I I preferred Addison to Mims, but they both looked to me like these are guys that can just absolutely win deep. And I, I like my rookie wide receivers to be able to do that because if you start delivering those splash plays for your team, like that's a good way for the team to take notice of what you're doing, right? Like, you know, the, uh, the little dink and dunk stuff is great here and there, you know, but it takes a lot more. So should we be drafting Addison as like a, a, a top five, like elite sort of like receiver this week? Or, or I mean, obviously you're not having to pay anywhere near that price, but. I, yeah, I, I don't think like a top five. Uh, Cause I, I do still think that you've got. Gosh, I mean, Hawkinson still had like 13 or something yeah. crazy targets this last week. And Addison did what he did. So. I, so, yeah, that's uh, a good point. Addison did have 30% targets per route run. He did have 100 air yards on 10 targets, so 10 A dot. So not truly not just uh, deep stuff. He he he. It, I'm not sure what exactly the range of different A dots were, but he he was getting more than um, than down the field stuff. So yeah, I think I, point. I I think he's not like. True top five is probably a little bit aggressive, but definitely should he, he he should be an expensive receiver. Jordan Addison or Adam Thielen this week? Addison, yeah. Jordan Addison or Puka Nakua this week? Um, that's probably a true like coin flip. I think Jordan Addison or Ceedee Lamb this week? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, like that—that—that's probably pretty close as well. Maybe, maybe slightly in Addison. 
BRB registering for a couple dog bowls because Addison, uh, with what you're saying, should be going in like the mid second round. <laughs> I think. I mean, I, I, that that maybe I'm. Am I over projection? No, no. I think you're. Please? I think you're right. And I. This is. It, it's why I love doing the show with you. I, I think that I was trying to not let my own bullishness on him influence me too much and and be like, oh, I can't move him up this much. You're. I'm being crazy. But when when I hear you say it, I'm like, yeah, that's how I feel too. I just like, I was trying to not get out over my skis, but now I'm like, damn it, that was a market inefficiency. I should have been handling. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, well, it's still I very right. cheap. Yeah, uh, I'll be getting some. Um. So yeah, that definitely definitely feels feels strongly that even even if I'm wrong, and uh, I don't, I think I'm, I don't, I think I'm wrong. I'm right relative to the market for sure. Yeah, I I agree. All right, let's wrap this up so I can get some dog bowls in before <laughs> move his ADP up. So this is the last chart, I believe, and this is our uh, forty to seventy percent right run guy guys, and a lot of this is sort of like young guys who are trying to break it onto the team or players who have been injured. So their, their snap share has been lower as they sort of work their way back in. And that's your Deontay Johnson, your Christian Watson, your Zay Jones, uh, who, who've been sort of injured. So their, their snap share isn't truly reflective, but it, good to see, I guess, that they're still, they're still getting uh, um, strong targets. We we call this one the uh, JSN now has life chart uh, <laughs> as, as he uh, finally saw an increase in his routes run, uh, actually got in the end zone, had some some fantasy points this week. Uh, you know, it's it's I'm hesitant to say it's wheels up for JSN, but it's starting to we're, we're at least, uh, you know, we're closing the cabin doors and preparing for takeoff. We haven't haven't gotten to wheels up yet, but. Very, very. I am. Um, I think last week was actually really good, um, or relatively good in that we knew we had to see something from him last week, or it was Jover, and and we got it. And I think, but I think one thing that's sort of like flying under the radar is that the Seahawks really weren't pushed in in the last game. They they, they seemed like pretty in control of that game most of the way, and they only had twenty eight dropbacks. And so JSN, he had 30% targets per out run with a 10 A dot, which is, I mean, on an, on an 80% root share, like that's, if we get that the rest of the way, like he is cooking. And and then I, I saw that Gretsch also made the point that, you know, Bobo sort of played the uh, the, the DK Metcalf role. So it wasn't like uh, JSN was temporarily stepping into something that's, only available for a moment. No, that he he wasn't. This this what seems like the true JSN role that he should see going forward, and uh, maybe his targets per run isn't going to be quite strong because let's say for example Tyler Lockett his was his was quite uh, below what you should expect him for him the rest of the year, but definitely really encouraging, and I think his uh, his output would have been even stronger if the Seahawks had been forced to throw uh, a lot more. Yeah. Well, well said. Um, pretty just agree with everything 
you had to say there. Uh, as far as other receivers on this chart, another one that's interesting is Jalen Hyatt. He's not popping on the chart yet. He's still down in the cardio club quadrant of the chart. But we did see him. Uh, we've seen his snap share increasing. Uh, Terod Taylor is willing to push the ball downfield to him. Uh, previously, it was Terod was throwing it downfield to Slayton. And now we've seen that the Giants have kind of figured out, oh, yeah, this guy who like all that he did in college was line up and just, you know, run unencumbered off the line and have deep shots thrown to him. We should try doing that with him. Uh, seems like they've started to figure out that that might be a good plan to to utilize this player's strengths. Uh, so we'll we'll see if they continue with that. Right, and and he actually he did get quite he did he had a sixty one percent weighted targets per run. So if you use this point in the sixty percent point in the chart, and uh, we're talking about John Jalen Hyatt, and um, so he would be he would be if you just looked at last week he would be firmly in the strong sort of like section of the weighted targets per run. He'd, he'd be hanging um, out with like Jaden Reed right around there and, you know, Trent Irwin, Zay Jones. Uh, right. Right. He like, he, 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 he would be just right of Jaden Reed. And so really, really encouraging, especially when you see a young player do it. Cause it's not like it, it, it it's not like the team knows who they are. It's more, it, it feels more like, or there, there, you've got a stronger possibility that maybe they're catching on that this is a skill set this guy can have, or this guy has. He's caught on to a couple of other things we've been trying to teach him, and 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 now it's sort of go time. So definitely encouraged there, uh, especially since his, his, it's not just a target, uh, uh, way the target for a run on like a low route share. He's had 60, 80, and 67% routes on his last three games. So he's definitely becoming a much more important part of the offense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't have anyone else that really stood out to me here. Was there anyone you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think any anybody we anybody here worth talking about, we've sort of already covered. Um. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think there's anybody word word yeah going over here. All right. Um, well, I, I think we'll we'll go ahead and uh, and wrap it up here then for the week. We did hit our goal of coming in under two hours this week. Uh, big achievement for the stat chasing boys. So uh, trying trying to deliver you actionable information in a digestible amount of time. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I mean, we definitely could have shaved twenty minutes off tonight as well. We we could have, but I think it it wouldn't have been it would it wouldn't have been in a way that uh, uh, added like was more efficient in adding value. I I I think that it, it, if we were to cut more time down, you would have to cut out what I think is a valuable discussion. Yeah, we would have we would have lost all the the dog bowl alpha and and morgue middle right. And and we have to we know that's what people are going to be listening in for this week. So we're feeding the we're feeding the dogs. Yeah, I'm I'm very I'm I'm excited to see the viewership for this week, and I'm also very worried to see my dog bowl rooms uh, texture change substantially. So hopefully, no one actually pays attention to what I have to say. But for those, I've of you always who been surprised that like or not surprised. I, I've always noticed that like. 
for you to be right, somebody else has to be wrong. So like most people, most people don't, they don't want to know. So I'm hoping that I keep listening to the show and keep ignoring what we say. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. Uh, I mean, obviously I would, I'd love to see people uh, listen to the alpha that I'm trying to give and put it into action and, you know, go out and win something that would, that would yeah. make me super happy. Um, but in general, you know, for, for like the, the diehards, the sickos that are here listening to us live, like you, you would be my favorite people to go out and win something. Everyone who's listening, you know, a day after two days after you're, you're welcome to ignore what I'm saying. And you can just <laughs> come back here for the receipts later as I victory lap, hopefully another ticket to Miami. Uh, but for all of you that hung with us, uh, for this nearly two hour pod, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you. And we will be back next Tuesday at our regularly scheduled time. Uh, And until then, good luck, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks very much. Talk to you next week, folks.